Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Record. Gosh, <gasps> patience, Anita. I have no patience. That is actually something I really lack. And ugh the worst okay anita uh-huh everybody everywhere is gonna be like mill you're so stupid <laughs> i agree on this point tell me yeah okay hey, you know how i volunteer with big brothers big sisters did you accidentally adopt a child no oh but okay nobody should trust me with that <laughs> okay but i had we had one of our activities like you you choose what you do and so we wanted to go skiing and mm -hmm. it's like it's fun but i have discovered that my threshold for being responsible for a child is two hours only. Only. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just waiting to hear. No, nothing even happened. I'm just like, oh, how, how, how do people do this? Like, how does Anita do this? How do all my oh. friends with kids do this? Like, they always want you to look at them, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're like, they're like calling your name all the time mm -hmm. and they want you to hold their stuff. No. <laughs> I don't want to hold your stuff. How do you guys deal with this? It's like, no, you know, I'm going to be that person in your life. That's like, you have to hold your own stuff and don't call my name out 50 million times. Mm -hmm. Mel, Mel, Mel. And then you yes, watch them yes. and you're like, oh, thanks. Or like if you're skiing, don't call my name when I'm about to go off of a little jump. 
because then I think something's wrong with you. Anyway, it was funny. I just was like laughing at myself because I'm, I was picturing myself telling you all the things and how I can only have two hours of that. And they want you to buy them snacks mm -hmm. and toys all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, no, here's a boundary. And then they're like, no, but what about this? That's mm -hmm. your all day, every day mm -hmm. with no, no mm -hmm. partner. Like times, times four. You have four. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and my my kid's awesome and like well behaved. It just is normal, I'm sure. Like I was like that, you know, not even that, like destroying things with fire. That is hilarious. So uh, to all the widowed parents out there and parents in general, I just I know that I don't know what you deal with, and I'm so sorry. And I would be a terrible one because I would just be stressed out and want to go take naps all the time, but I yeah. couldn't do anything with them and yell. You would do that too, so. Thank you to everybody who reached out after our episode last week. We got a lot of really nice comments, especially people were saying that they felt badly that I was doubting whether Jason was proud of me or not. And it was kind of funny because other people voiced kind of the same thoughts. And I was like, of course, your person is proud of you. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm <laughs> doing the same. We're just doing it to each other. It's so much easier to say it to somebody else than it is to say to yourself, isn't it? Like to tell people what they should do instead of what you should do to yourself. It's always easier to prescribe than to take your own medicine. So question, how did you feel when that happened? Well, it was really funny because I was like, no, of course he's proud of you. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I do, I feel like overall Jason is probably proud of me, but there are definitely things that I've done that I just think. I'm not proud of that. And he wouldn't be proud of that. I think you would be understanding of it, but it doesn't make me feel like good at all. So mostly parenting stuff. I feel like you're rocking it. Yeah. Thanks. And, Cause I don't know any better. Everything just sounds horrible. So yeah. <laughs> okay. I got haunted this week. Do you want to hear about it? Mm -hmm. Of course I do. This is not a haunting by Scott. I believe this is a haunting by my dad. So check this out. I was playing doubles tennis. And for those that know kind of how that goes, uh, when your partner is serving, you're either up really close to the net so that you can like grab the volleys that come over quick, or you kind of step back toward the first center line, the first line mm -hmm. of the court. That's a little bit back. So I've been working on being forward so that I can get the volleys easily. And my partner, she's never hit me before serving, but she started hitting me with her serve. So, um, wait, so your own partner? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It was so weird. I know. And she's like, I've never done this ever. And I've played for like 30 years. I'm like, I know it's so weird. Um, so I got hit on the leg one time and then I was sitting there and you're supposed to be in ready position with your racket straightforward, right? It's like this habit you have to get in at all times. And so I'm standing there in ready position, the racket's centered, and it's her turn to serve. And a little voice goes, you might want to move your racket back on your left side in front of your face. And I was like, that's really weird. I've never done that, but okay, why not? Who cares? So I do. Like 0.2 seconds later, her, she serves and it hits right where my eye would have been. And it hit your racket instead. It hit my racket instead. Whoa. And I'm like... Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks for saving me eyeball. It was so weird. I've never, I've never done that in my whole life. So, and now I'm gonna stop playing at the net so closely when she's serving. She's gonna be back a little bit, and then I'll go up. 
Don't I think hit. you should just get off of the court entirely if this is a problem. I think you should get in the car and then have mm-hmm. her call you when it's your turn to volley it. I might just you. like set, be behind her. <laughs> this sounds like the safest. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, Mel. Thanks. I think that's, I love those times. Thanks, Jemima, for saving Mel. What <laughs> are you doing this week, Anita? Um, Momming. Well- momming yeah we celebrated my dad's 70th birthday last weekend and uh i don't even know what's going on this week i'll figure that out as it comes right yeah it's like the bleh of winter right now for us so it is and it keeps snowing like it's been one of the snowiest seasons we've had in forever so yes yes um which you're enjoying (laughs) i am totally enjoying that with skiing and then i uh built some little quarter pipe ramps and decided to move them in the basement for skateboarding. So I am officially like that person (laughs) that is everyone's probably like your poor mother. What are you doing? Well, so just don't call her name all the time. Mom, 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 mom. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Oh my gosh. I just realized that I still do that. I'm like, mom, (laughs) mom. I'm like, mom, mom, look at the dog. Mom, look at the cat. Look how cute. Mom, look at this. Mom. Like, okay, I'm 40 and that's how. Can you hold my garbage, mom? Can you hold my coat, mom? Can you hold my sock, mom? Can you hold this banana peel, mom? (laughs) Get the holding the things. No, I can't. How do you do? That's That's the worst guess what's coming up and i didn't even think about it a valentine's day or something else a valentine's day yeah valentine's day is coming up um well first things first let's talk about our zoom that's happening on saturday because because it's right before valentine's day we want to do a little something that's fun a little bit light so we're going to have our first zoom meeting that's going to be normal so if you want to come and just be able to discuss and talk like we do in our normal zoom meetings that's at noon mountain standard time and that's with autumn mm-hmm. and then our 6 p.m mountain standard time we're gonna do some little get to know you games kind of something that will be a little bit more light a little bit more fun um so if you want to do something that just is a little like just a little levity and to take your mind off of the stupidness of valentine's day join us for that one those will be posted in the widow wives club and on the app yes the last one the one at 6 p.m on this saturday what's the date is it the 11th Saturday, February 11th at 6 p.m. Anita and I are going to run that one. So it's going to be full of shenanigans and laughter and just nothing serious, but hopefully fun. And then, like Anita said, regular Zoom also Saturday, February 11th at noon, headed by Autumn Barker. Regular Zoom hang. Um. Okay, now we can talk about Valentine's Day and your feelings about Valentine's Day. Guess what I did? booked a trip for myself on valentine's day and i hate holidays right and Mm -hmm. i return on president's day president's day doesn't count it does because people are out of school and people are at the ski slopes ruining all of the space okay Okay. (laughs) so i'm leaving oh okay we'll have fun in hawaii i'm a little jealous what are you doing crying nothing yeah well i don't know was Valentine's Day a big deal to you ever in relationships? No, never in once in my whole life. Yeah. Hate it. Don't care. It's more of a thing for my kids because I have to get the stupid Valentine's for school. But I'm totally buying myself stuff for Valentine's Day because guess what? Like, I know what I want anyway. So I'm just going to buy myself the own, my own presents and uh, chocolates, whatever. I'll get what I want. 
The question is, what Cotopaxi gear will Anita buy this year? <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that, but uh, we do have an upcoming trip, so... Treat yourself! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was listening to that new Miley Cyrus song. It's um, like, I can buy myself flowers. And I was like, this is like the widow's anthem, guys. Like, yeah. buy yourself some flowers or some chocolate or whatever you need. And I know it's not the same. But we can still, like, love ourselves, too. Yeah. We give you permission to do something like that for yourself on Valentine's Day. And if you cry, it's cool. And if you don't cry, also cool. Um, Yeah. You guys want to come check out the Widow Wives Club? It's on Facebook. There is another Widow Wives Club on Facebook, Mel. Is it active? So when, I... I... It's got a yellow logo. Ours has, like, a black, white, pinkish logo so don't get confused i think we have people get confused sometimes ours is the the widow we do now widow wives club maybe that's how people get in our club and they're like what podcast are you talking about and we're like how did you get in this group if you did not know maybe that's why maybe maybe i don't know anyway so make sure you're applying to the right the right group I don't know about that group because I'm not a part of it, but ours is rad. So come join ours. And if you want to keep the podcast going, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDN. Yep. If you join, you can get several perks, including ad-free episodes at the $10 level and a bonus shout out every episode. And there's other stuff too. We have different tiers. Go check it out if you're interested, but mm -hmm. we're going to do our Patreon shout out right now. And yep. it's going to be done by Anita's number four. Yes. <laughs> and he was jumping the whole time he was recording this. So I'm curious to see what it sounds like. Might be a disaster. but <laughs> Oh, also buy us tacos at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And if you don't want to do that. Rating and review, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, five-star rating and review, please. It really, we can't ex express how much it helps people to find the podcast because it moves you up in the search history and the algorithm, whatever we don't understand, but it really does help. So do that if you want to keep the podcast alive and helping as many people as we can reach. Yep. And if you write a review, people read those things and they're like, oh, maybe I will check it out. Oh, maybe there are people like me, you know. Yeah. Ah, well, let's get to our episode, shall we? Yeah. All right. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We are two young widows. We're trying to help everybody figure out widow. We do. Now. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation. In memory of Elizabeth Meisner. But why do we have to sing a song? That's just how it works. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Widow-Man, Widow-Man, <laughs> does whatever a widow can. <laughs> Constant Stallback. David Kelly. David Kelly. Don Satterwhite. Don Satterwhite. Emily Wesenberg. Emily Wesenberg. Evelyn Flores. Evelyn Flores. Gail Bell. Gail Bell. Heather Mullins. Heather Mullins. Ivan Meisner. Ivan Meisner. Cat. Cat. Crystal Waite. Crystal Waite. Maya Glasser. Neil Hooper. Becky Zeba. Becky Zeba. Sam Finlayson. Sam Finlayson. Nope. Say it 
Sampton Mason. Ken Cornejo. Alexis King. Aldello. Amber Alanis. Bill. Amy Hartman Hotel. Amy Neal. Ashley Hahn. Barbara Schneeberger. Bargley. Brandy Younger. Brittany Hager. Chris Stephen. Cindy Wilkerson. Connie Remert. Danielle Catterberg. Deborah Milak. Dennis Brazo. Jean Marie Maddie. Jen O'Brien. Jenny Taylor. Jennifer Taylor. Jennifer Beal. Jennifer Brown. Jesse Johnson. Carol Schultz. Laura Giddy Penny, Penner, Lisa Hardman Powell, Marie Hoffman, Mary Catherine Anderson, Meg Murto, Patricia Weiss, Rachel Barbosa. Sarah Morris, Simone, Simone Bill, Sunshine Haven, Alicia McGallister, Annie Burke, Anne Drennan, Anne Tracy, Audrey Henniger, Serena Boer, Serena Boer. Christina Sambato, Christina Anderson, Cindy Raymond, Don Barber, Debbie Fells, Deborah Westwood, Diana Beckard, Doris, Rachel, and Instagram. Emily Toledo. Aaron Posick. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Gia the Knight. Gina Haas. Gina Sheena. Annabelle. Jackie Coyle. Call her so. Seely. Jane. Secret one. Jennifer Davis. Jenny Armstrong. Jennifer Sanders. Jenny Barrow. Jenny Dippold. Jocelyn Milo. Johnny Walker. Judy Malkin. Julie Stevenson, 
Jana Ochoa, Karina Chabolo, what? Kathy Murray, Katie Guts, Katie Ratcliffe, Kara Scara, Kevin Ferry, Chris Morgan, Laura Kiwi, Lauren Old, Linda, Lindsay Hanapka, Marjorie Lewis, and Mary McDonald, Mary McGowan, Melissa Bowers, Melissa Hancock, Naomi Me Brown, Rachel, Oh hi Rachel, Rachel Tang. Rebecca Olemaker, Robin Flam, Stacy Sayward, Tammy Jarrah. Mom, can you say some of these? Uh, Tara Wallace. Tara Wallace. What? Trenton Thompson. Valerie. Valerie Packer. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Barista Wendy. Thanks for joining the Patreon. All right, thank you. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> We're here, finally, finally. I know. With this person, we needed to do this a long time ago, but you know, life is weird. We're widows. It's crazy. We all know each other's names, but we haven't spoken really, and now we get to. I'm stoked. Me too. This is our our newest friend, Jen, Jen Zwink. And if you recognize that name, because that's not a really popular name, Zwink. It's cool no. though. It's like it Zoinks. Cool. Zwink. And it like is. from <laughs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Zwink. Everybody's like, oh, that's the coolest name ever. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty fun, right? Yeah, I love it. It's like an onomatopoeia yeah. name. You don't get those every day. And if you recognize that name, it's because Jen is the host of Widow 180. Hi, Jen. Hello, ladies. I am so excited to be here and talking to you guys today. And this is, like like we said, a long time coming. So thrilled to be here. We're so glad to have you. Jen, where are you recording from? 
I am in South Louisiana, right outside of New Orleans. So we were talking about this before we started recording. Right now, for Mel and I, it's snowing buckets outside. And what's the weather for you like right now? It's beautiful and sunny and about 70 degrees. How much humidity? Not bad today. What is, quote, not bad? 60%. Wow. (laughs) Now, Jen, we were talking a little bit before we hit record, but what do you do during the day besides host a widow podcast? My career, real job, is an optometrist. So I do eye exams and I fit contact lenses and I write prescriptions for medicine. Um, for eye drops? Yes. When you get the pink eye? Yes, the pink eye. So there's <laughs> ophthalmologist, which is eye doctor, optometrist, which is you, an optician, which is a glasses optician. fitter. Is that yes. right? Yes. Ophthalmologists. I know. Ophthalmologists are, are the surgeons. Mm, so they, yeah, do, okay. they do LASIK. They do glaucoma surgery. They do all of the surgery. We don't do any surgery. How long is schooling for an optometrist? Optometry school is four years. So I did an undergrad degree in microbiology. That was four years. And then it's four years of optometry school Whoa. on top of that. So. So can you tell me my pupillary distance? (laughs) (laughs) So joking. I just made my eyes big and looked into the Zoom. That would be interesting to try to do that. (laughs) Jen, how long have you been an optometrist? I'm just so curious. I know that. Oh, goodness. Almost 20 years. Oh, that's so cool. A long time. Yeah. Okay. Besides being an optometrist, you're also a widow. So let's talk about that, your status there. Tell us about your person, how you met that whole story. Yeah, I did. I met Brent in optometry school. Oh, fun. And uh, he had come down for Mardi Gras. And it was probably 20 something people that came and stayed at my parents' house. Thank you, parents. Um, I mean, we had people everywhere. They were sleeping in the hall. They were sleeping underneath the dining room table. It was crazy. But it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. They, they rolled with the it. Cupboards. Um, and rolled and over them. Great. And my mom cooked for everyone. It was just, it was such a great weekend. And Where did he come down from? Well, we all went to school in Memphis. Optometry school was in Memphis. Uh, he's actually from Minneapolis. So he's um, from Minnesota. And so he was here for the weekend and um, a lot of people were heading back on Sunday. I think he stayed until Monday, but then he didn't have a ride back up to Memphis. So he was, he was stranded. And I don't even know how that happened, but he needed a ride back. I drove up there with him and really hadn't talked to him, spent a whole lot of time with him, even though we were in the same class together. But yeah, we were in the car together for six hours. And by the time we got to Memphis and I dropped him off, I was like, I don't want him to leave. <laughs> we were really kind of, you know, hitting it off and just getting to know each other. And so we had our first date was within the next week. And then we were together since then. That was our third year of optometry school. Do you remember the date? 2000. <laughs> Uh, 2001. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago. 
Okay, what happened? 2011, this was October 15th of 2011. And one of our really good friends from optometry school was getting married. And he was, uh, Brent was in the wedding. And so all the guys came in town to New Orleans to go to the bachelor party. And um, he decided to go. He didn't really want to go. But this, because he was a homebody, he was a total homebody. He just loved to be home. And we had our little girl who was two at the time, but he said, I'm going to go because everybody's here in town. It's easy for me to go to this. It's an hour away. So he went and that was on Saturday night. He was staying down there in New Orleans in the city. And I just, you know, kissed him goodbye and said, have fun because I knew he never, he never went out. So I'm like, go have a good time, you know, hang out with the guys. And I told him, I said, text me when you get back to the hotel. And so I remember around, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, I checked my phone, didn't have a text. And I was just like, well, he's probably either still out or just drinking a lot and fell asleep. But he was supposed to come home the next day on Sunday to watch the Saints game. And the game started at noon. So, you know, 10 o'clock, I still hadn't heard from him. I was texting him like, hey, are you up? Are you guys having breakfast? Uh, 11 o'clock, he still wasn't home. He hadn't texted. Uh, then the game started at noon and he still wasn't home. And so I called, like I called the guys. I called the one that was getting married. And I said, is he with you? And he's like, no, I haven't seen him since last night. He left the bar at about four o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, he hasn't texted me. He hasn't called me. He hasn't, he's, you know, nothing. And he's like, I'm going to go to the hotel room and go check and see, just stay by the phone. So he went and then he called me and he said, he's not in the room. And it looks like he never did come home. And he said, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, you know, call your parents, have them watch Claire and come down here. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, what is happening? So I called my parents and my dad came over. I think my mom came over. It's all a blur. But my mom, I think, came to get Claire. And then my dad and I went downtown and I grabbed like three pictures of Brent. And I, you know, just in case I needed to show them around. Oh, my gosh. It's like Dateline. Mm -hmm. And then I called a good friend of mine. And uh, I told them what was happening. And I said, Brent's missing. And they showed up immediately. It was like three of them showed up. And we were at the hotel. We were trying to, you know, go. The, they called the police. The police showed up. I gave them the picture. They were questioning, like, where they went, all of the bartenders. Have you seen him? Have you, you know, when did he leave? All that kind of stuff. Um, just going around the French Quarter, because this was, you know, in the French Quarter. And we were trying to locate his phone. And at the time we had Sprint and Sprint wouldn't give you any information. You know, it wasn't, the phone was in his name. And so then I had to get my friend's husband to act like he was Brent in oh, order sneaky. to call. Yeah. Like we had to kind of go around some ways. Uh, and I think we got downtown, we got down there at around like three o'clock in the afternoon and probably at around nine o'clock or so at night, 
we tracked his phone and we were able to track it. It was in a junkyard that was on the edge of the French Quarter, probably about 10 blocks from where he was last seen. And so I remember, so we all jump in the cars, the police were there and they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to stop by the, by the junkyard. Um, and we're going to kind of discuss like, what's the plan. Okay. So there's our three cars are sitting around and I remember the police and my dad and our friends, like they were standing in a circle and they were kind of like pushing me out of the circle because they didn't want me to hear what they were saying, but they were just talking about the junkyard. Now the junkyard is, it was dark. It was um, barbed wire fence, like all around the top of this thing. There were pit bulls in there and like Dobermans and they're like barking underneath the fence, you know, and we couldn't see anything because it was pitch black. So then they called the fire department and the fire department came out with their truck and pulled up right next to the fence. And then they put their ladder up and they had a fireman up at the top of the ladder. And then they told me, they said, okay, we want, we're going to call his phone and we're going to shut off the lights. Cause they had spotlights shining down in there. And they said, we're going to shut off the lights and we're going to look for the phone just to see if we can see it. So we did that and we did that like over and over and, um, didn't never did find it. Never did find it. Um, and at like, I don't know, 10 30 at night, uh, one of the detectives came up to me and he said, uh, okay, ma'am, I just, I need you to just go home and try and get some rest and just let us do our job. It was literally the line from NCIS. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. You're That's really living Dateline for real. Scripted. That's what he told me. And I was like, I'm not going home. I don't have my husband. And how can you rest because he's missing? Oh, let me just go home and get some sleep. <laughs> I'll just go bath. home and get some sleep. So, yeah. So we left and got home. I don't know. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And um, my daughter was, because we went back to my parents' house. And my daughter was in the back bedroom in this spare bedroom and my mom had put a little uh night light kind of thing so she wouldn't get scared and so i climb in the bed and i'm laying next to her and of course my heart is pounding and i'm just sick like frantically saying over and over again i was like give me a sign tell me you're okay tell me you're okay i just need to see i need to see a sign give me a sign i mean like non-stop i was saying it like out loud and I noticed in the corner of my eye, like on the um, bedroom wall, there was a shadow. It was a silhouette from the nightlight that was shining on like some flower thing that my mom had up on, on the dresser. But it was his silhouette. It was, it was Brent's silhouette. And it was a full-size silhouette of him on the wall. And he was kind of standing sideways and he kind of had his hands like this and I saw it and I was like nope I said nope nope that's not the sign that I want that's not Rejected. it <laughs> give me a different sign 
I need to know that you're okay. Give me a different sign. And I looked over again and I was just like, you know, I'm like, that's it. Like that's him. That's him. So it was the next morning. So it was Monday morning when we got a call from the coroner's office and they told us to come down. It was like, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, right, right in the morning when they called. Now I had called all of the hospitals, but found out later, you know, they can't give you any information on the phone. He didn't have his wallet. So what happened was he had left the bar at like 4.30. All the other guys saw him leave. They waved. You know, he was like, he did this sign. Like, I'm done. I'm not drinking anymore. So 4.30, he's tired. He left and he was followed by a couple of guys. He went two blocks from the bar. So he just went one block and then one block, but it was a really dark corner where he was. He went the wrong way. He was supposed to turn right and he turned left. And they hit him on the head and they took his wallet and they took his phone. That's why they threw it in the junkyard and, um, and then left him on the sidewalk. And it was probably, I don't know, 20 minutes later when somebody was walking down the sidewalk and found him and then called 911. From what they tell me, he passed away on the sidewalk. Uh, I, I don't think we knew that you are a murder widow oh my gosh jen yeah okay continue (laughs) who would have thunk huh like why why did they do it were they just like trying to jump him like get his money or why i mean and did they catch them oh yeah so many questions i'm sure he had like maximum 50 dollars in his wallet maybe you know they didn't even take his credit cards. I mean, I, I don't know what they like. They're track it anyway, but you know, th- why? Yeah. You know, why? Like that high of a cost of life for nothing, really. I, I don't even think he had $50. Who has cash anyway? So yeah, this, um, the next day was when the co- we went to the coroner's office and um, we were, you know, told what happened. Um, the, the coroner said, I just remember walking into that office and it was a big, long uh, conference table. And they had a picture that was upside down. And right when I walked in, I, I could tell that it was it was him. It was, you know, his head. But then. I sat down, my parents were there, my brother was there. And then when they flipped it over and he slid the picture over to me and he said, we don't want this to be the case, but we think that this is your husband. And, um, and I was just staring at it and I I didn't say anything. And then, and then I said the stupidest thing ever. And I said, well, we're supposed to go to the pumpkin patch today. That's what I told the guy. Because we were, we had planned to go and like do the whole pumpkin thing and the pumpkin carving. And, and then I kept it in front of me, but he, the coroner took the picture and then he turned it back over and I was like, can I see that again? And he's like, you don't want to see that again. So then he's, I said, well, is he here in this building? Cause I want to see him because my mind was like, this is not true. 
you know? I like prove like, it. Show me. Yeah. This is just a picture. No, I want to, you know, I want to see. And he told me no. What? And he said, he said, you don't, he said, you don't, you don't want to see. And I was like, okay. So then I stood up, we went to leave and I feel like I, that's when I was about to just pass out. And like my brother was holding me up and my dad was holding me up and we walked to the car. And then it was just like, you know, total nightmare, total nightmare. Oh, it's like you're, you just had this normal life, right? You're just yeah. living the middle America dream, two optometrists yeah. in a family, looking at eyeballs all day, little two-year-old yeah. daughter. And for no reason, did you, did your brain go nuts trying to figure out like, was there anything more to what happened? Like, was there a reason that he was attacked? A little bit at first, like that in that night. Cause I, I think I remember talking to the guys and I was like, was there something else that, that it happened? Like, did he go home with another lady or like, did he like tell me? And they were like, no, no, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything like that. And they had, there had been a string of these things happening in the city. Did they catch the dudes? Yeah. What was the outcome? Yes, they did. The detectives were amazing. I mean, they found his wallet like down in a sewer. They were, they were going everywhere. They did track down this, the one person and he tried to run away. He took a bus up to Missouri and went to stay and hide out with relatives up there, but his relatives turned him in. Oh, good job. So they got him back to New Orleans and then he was in jail. We kept, and then it was the trial period where, you know, we were trying to do a plea deal and they kept saying, no, we're going to take this to trial. We're going to take this to trial. And that was one of the hardest things about this because it just kept dragging on for years. You know, we would have a trial date and then they would, the, the DA would call and say that they had some other evidence that they were looking into. And so then it would get pushed back another four months. And then same thing again, repeat another four months. And this went on for four years. Oh my gosh. So I really had that kind of on, on the edge of every, it was like every few months I'm, I'm looking at, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Just a nervous wreck, you know, um, waiting for that day. Finally, this was 2015. Uh, he took the plea deal that we had talked about for years and he pled guilty. It was second degree murder. And uh, he's 40 years in jail. Oh, heavens. But why didn't there was another guy? I thought there was another guy. I think I still think to this day there's mm -hmm. another guy. But that was never proven. I would think that the, the one guy would be like throwing everybody under the bus. <laughs> be like, it yeah. was him too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I have a like interesting question that's kind of out of left field. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So Mel's going to be like, wait, mm. 
So you lived like the true crime documentary. Does it bother you, true crime stuff, like podcasts and the Dateline and things like that? Yes. What part of it? Just the fact that it is a thing? Or do you not like that people are talking about the cases? I think it's just, um, it's such a trigger for me. It's it's even a trigger for me to hear the word murder. You know, it's, it is what it is. I have yeah. a lot of things that trigger me around that time, from around that time. Um, I cannot imagine why. The news, <laughs> the newscaster's voice, like the local news, yeah. you know, because it was all over the news. Like the news people were at my house the next morning. We got back from the coroner's office and the news people were parked in front of my house. Oh so, my gosh. So I can't hear, like my parents had the um, the news on. 24 seven, they were trying to keep up with everything and see what was happening with, with, did they find the guy, you know, all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I can't listen to those people's voices anymore yeah. <laughs> without <Kate>. feeling <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to say like when I was like, Oh, it's like a dateline. I had no idea that it actually was <laughs> this type of that. story. I just was like, Oh, I, I thought he would have was in a car accident or some or something. So First of all, I'm so sorry that that happened. And what a nightmare. What's it been like for you to grieve Brent and be a mom and deal with trial stuff? Like, how, how are you alive still, truly? Three weeks after he was killed. When was that? Yeah, I think it was about three weeks after. Um, I was, we were coming up to Halloween my mom had asked me to go and uh, run some errands with her. And so I decided I was going to meet her at the McDonald's. It's close to my house. You know, it's really easy place to meet. We live in a really small town. Nothing bad ever happens. So I go to meet my mom, I had Claire with me and my mom and Claire and I were sitting there starting to eat. And then Claire had to go to the bathroom. So my mom takes her and we were just starting to potty train, you know, at that time. So she runs into the bathroom with her and I'm sitting there kind of zoned out and the window was right here. And I hear all of the people behind the counter start talking very loudly. And I was just kind of looking over like, what is happening? What's happening over there? And, um, and then I heard them say that, oh, he's running this way. He's running this way. And so then I'm just eating my French fries. And out of this window, I see a cop car come and pull up, just like screech to a halt. The, the cop jumps out with his gun like this, runs into the men's bathroom in the McDonald's. And then he runs back out and jumps in his car. And then he drives away, like peels away. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just eating my fries and I'm like, what, what is this world? What is, what is You have happening? to go potty real bad. Real, and my mom, bad. my mom comes walking out with Claire and she's like, guess who just went to the potty? <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like what is happening? Really? I felt like my world was trapping me and I couldn't breathe. I, I had no idea what happened was this guy had robbed the bank across the street and was running over by the McDonald's. They were chasing him. The cops were chasing him. And when I tell you, I live in this small town where nothing bad happens. 
nothing bad happens. Like it's not a bad little city. And so I was like, I can't deal with this violence. Like I just felt like everything was coming down on me and I freaking had a nervous breakdown in the McDonald's and I couldn't breathe. And I've started, I think I started to like, you know, kind of like shake and I was crying and my mom grabbed me, she took me by the shoulders and she took me outside and she was like, what is happening? You know? And I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs. And Claire was just like running around. It was outside in the front of the McDonald's. It was a beautiful day. She's like playing. They had butterflies everywhere. So she's like jumping around in the butterflies. And this guy that's in the line in the drive-thru, you know how when they don't have your fries ready, you have to pull up a little bit <laughs> yeah, and just wait. So he pulls up and he is like direct witness to what is happening. Like I was crying and freaking out. And he rolls down his window. Now he's got his wife and all the kids in the back of the car. It was a minivan. And he looks at me and he goes, excuse me, you have a beautiful daughter. And I was like, huh? Like, I just like, I stopped and I was like, yes, I do. I'm like, yes, I do. I'm like, okay, okay. And I honestly feel like that was just sent from another world like snap out of whatever is happening in your brain right now, snap out of it right now, this rando guy <laughs> and his family <laughs> tells me that I have a beautiful daughter. And I was like, Oh my God, he's right. Okay. Yes. He's right. He's right. I need to get a grip. Um, but I, again, I still felt like my world was closing in on me and I needed to get out of there. And so I went home, I went straight home and Thanksgiving was coming up. I bought, tickets, plane tickets for Claire and I to go down to uh, Turks and Caicos. That's uh, Providencialis is the little island in Turks and Caicos. And um, that was our go-to place. That was our vacation place. That was our happy place that we went to like two or three times a year. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to be here for Thanksgiving. I'm going to go. Claire and I are going to go. And we're going to go for like a week and a half, just the two of us. So I bought my plane tickets and my really dear, sweet friend from college said, I'm not going to let you do this and go alone. I'll come down there for a week. You guys can be there for a few days and then I'll come down. And so she, um, she came down and it was like the third day that I was there. I said, I feel like I need to live here. And she is super type a, she's, she's an engineer and she's got uh, a really good head on her shoulders. So she was like, okay, let's see if we can make this work. Let's figure this out. And so she sat there and she was going over my finances and trying <laughs> to make a plan for me and everything. And I was like, she said, you can do this. You can do this for a year. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So I think it was like the fourth day I started looking for places to live down there that I could rent some place on the beach that I could rent for a year. And I found one person, one guy who was willing to rent long-term and he happened to be um, a pilot that lives in Minnesota. Um, again, I took that as a sign and he said yes. And so I signed the lease for January 1st to January 1st. And I said, I'm going to go. Um, just Claire and I, I didn't know a single person. I didn't know anybody there. 
uh, I just knew that I could not be home. I couldn't be around all of the violence and the crazy that was happening. Did your family flip out and be like, no, this is a terrible idea? Or are they like, okay, bye, honey? No, I mean, I came home and I had already signed the lease. So I came home, my dad picked us up from the airport. We got back to my parents' house and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for a year. And my dad said, a year is a long time. And he's like, what about just like six months? And I was like, six months is going to just fly by. I'm like, I, I feel like I need just, I need some time. And my mom didn't say a word. She just got up from the table and she walked into the kitchen and she started scrubbing all the countertops. Like, <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and then um, she was crying, you know, but my dad said, he said, nobody knows how you feel right now. Nobody knows. And so do what you have to do. And, and I was like, okay, you guys come visit, you know? So I packed four suitcases and it was like January 2nd was our flight. Um, but it was just Claire and I, and we flew down there and stayed for a year. And then I wasn't ready to come back. So I stayed another year and then I still wasn't ready. So then I stayed <laughs> almost another six or seven months. So all in total, we were, we lived down there for about two and a half years. So did you, did you awesome. do optometry there? A little bit. Huh. It's, it's a British Island. So you do have to jump through their hoops mm -hmm. just to get a work permit, but they have two optometrists on the Island. And so I was able to fill in at the office there. I have a very important question. Mm -hmm. Will you take us there and be our tour guide? Oh, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so cool. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that you got to do that because that's your story is so intense. Like that's so emotionally intense and psychologically intense and I'm glad you were able to be like on an island. Yeah. Like I didn't the best. I didn't want to be reminded of uh the traditional holidays that were coming up. You know, we had and Valentine's Day was right around the corner. And then they had every like our fourth of July was so much fun at our house. And I said, I don't want to be home. I don't want to be home and reminded of any of this stuff. So I wasn't, I put myself in this little bubble and I swear to God, it was the best thing and the best decision that I could have done because in my little bubble, I was able to, to heal. You know, I didn't have any of family pressure or outside pressure from friends or judgment from friends or look at what she's doing now or whatever. Like they had no idea what I was doing. And the DA had told me to get off of Facebook. Oh, really? So I had no contact except for email with anybody. She said, don't, you know, post any pictures of you being happy or smiling or having a, a good time doing anything because any of that is ammunition for for four years oh you can't gosh. be happy yeah 
Oh, wow. I, I think it's, this is just a testament to how different people deal with grief differently, because for some people that wouldn't be the right answer for them. Right. But yes. for you, and I am surprised. And also, I think it's rad that you knew what you wanted to do and you did it and it turned out to be the right decision. And I, I love that for you. Plus, I mean, Tropical Island does sound kind of nice. So this, when did you come home from your, <laughs> your sojourn in the islands? It was 2015. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's seven years ago, right? That's mm -hmm. quite a few years to rebuild and kind of find your footing again. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about how you started to piece your life back together? Yes. Actually, now that I think about it, so the trial was the, was 2015. We had actually come back the year before that. So we were back in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I got back. I decided to come back because I probably could have stayed uh, on the island for, you know, another year, maybe even two before Claire was really starting to get into school. And I made a decision that I was going to come back when she was starting kindergarten because I felt like that was a good, solid starting point, you know, get back into life again. And I still didn't know where I wanted to live or what I wanted to do. I had sold my house at that point. Not that anything bad had ever happened in my house, but I just felt like I, I felt like it was definitely a part of my identity. I, you know, we all go through this as widows, how we identify with being a suburban wife, right? I'm like, well, if I'm not supposed to be that, then what am I supposed to do? Where am I yeah. supposed to go? If I'm not supposed to be in this house, you know, I don't feel like I need to be there for any reason. Um, so I didn't, I sold my house and I still had to decide, you know, what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And my parents are amazing. You know, um, they offered to build like a little kind of apartment garage apartment thing for us, uh, to come and stay however long we wanted to. And, uh, we ended up moving in with them after we came back from Turks and Caicos, we moved in with them for, um, it was a couple of years. We ended up staying in so. the, in the mother-in-law apartment we did. The daughter. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. So then you start to Claire goes to school. Mm -hmm. You you have to find a new job. I'm guessing you have to like start living in quote unquote normal life again. Yeah. And that was still very difficult because I was still going through the, are we having a trial? Are we having a yeah. trial? We're still not having a trial. I felt like I could not move forward with my life until I got that out of the way. Oh yeah. I felt like I was waiting. I was waiting and waiting and waiting to just put an end to that chapter and then I could move on. And I feel like it's so hard because it's like, they, they just take that little, that little, it's not really a carrot, but right when you get to the carrot, they pull it out and then it's oh, yeah. you know, two miles away. And so you like crawl on your hands yeah. and knees the next two miles. And you're like, I finally got to it. And then they're like, nope, yank. And you're just like, I have no ability to plan, no way to foresee the future because I'm not in charge of any of it. And somebody else gets to make the decisions. And that's a horrible, that's a horrible status in life. 
Exactly. So when, when you were back and once the trial had wrapped up, where did you go from there? Like I said, I was living with my parents, staying in that little apartment garage thing. And uh, my mom had come across a letter that she found when she was, she was moving some boxes around. Now I had stuff in storage. I had two storage units and all my stuff was everywhere, everywhere because I had sold my house. So some of the stuff was in my parents' house, but anyway, she found a box and the box had a a bunch of old bills in it, like my old house, AT&T bills and things like that. So she's going through the box and there was this little letter in there that was wrapped up tight and it said Jennifer and it had a heart over the eye. And so she pulled it out. She didn't read it, but she put it on my dresser. And she was like, this doesn't belong, doesn't look like it belongs in with the bills. And so I was cleaning up one day. This was in October of 2015. And I was, you know, dusting some things and I found the letter. When I opened the letter, it was written to me when I was 15, I guess. And it said, um, Jennifer, I never believed in love at first sight, blah, blah, blah. It was a love letter to me. It was five pages front and back. And it was signed Doug Zwink. So I was like, oh my gosh, I remember getting this letter when I was 15. And I, I remember opening the letter. I remember reading it, but I put it away. I packed it in all of my storage stuff. Like I had a box of high school stuff, you know? And I put it in there and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Now that box was up in my attic during Katrina because I had six feet of water in my house for Katrina. So it survived through a lot. It survived through like 20 years. And um, so I found this letter and I'm sitting there reading it. And I was like, oh goodness. I'm like, somebody loves me. That's what I thought. (laughs) So I decided to message him. On Facebook, I looked him up on Facebook. I couldn't tell if he was married. It was like a picture of Michigan Stadium. It wasn't anything that I could tell anything about him. But I just messaged Doug and I said, hey, uh, I found a letter from you. It's a love letter. Do you remember coming down to New Orleans, blah, blah, blah. And so he wrote back to me right away on Facebook. And he said, I absolutely remember you, Jen. And I was like, oh, my God. So we start messaging and then he's like, well, let me get your number and we can talk. And so he called me, I think the next day. And then um, we started talking for, it was just a couple of days. And then that Thursday, so that was like three days later, is when I got a call from the DA that the plea deal was accepted and that this the murderer was going to jail. And so I was going through all of that turmoil. Doug didn't know any of that story because I didn't want to scare him away. (laughs) But we had only been talking for like a couple of days. And so I'm going through all this trial stuff and all of the emotions with that and getting that put behind me. And that was on a Thursday was when I had gotten that call from the DA everything was done. This person was going to jail 40 years. Like this was, this was the chapter that I was waiting to close, you know? And the very next day, Friday, I'm dropping Claire off at school and I get a message, a text from Doug. And he's like, 
TGI Friday, like TGIF or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my God, I was crying in the car line, dropping her off. And then he's texting me to have this brand new guy that I'm just starting to talk to. I mean, I, my emotions were a mess and thank God for text messages. So I didn't have to talk to him, but, but I was just like, yay, you know, smiley face. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you only knew. Life great. Yes. You know, so I text him that I remember pulling over in the parking lot at the school and I was just like, okay, you know, yes, I need to respond to him. But I was crying just like buckets in the parking lot, just with dealing with all of the emotions of everything. So the same week, the same exact week that that chapter closed, the new one opened and I met Doug who was living in Chicago at the time. And so we started a long distance relationship and I flew up there for the first time in December. I told my parents I had a date and it was in Chicago. Could they watch Claire for me? I was going to fly up just for one night. That was it. It was like a 15 hour trip. Like I flew up for Saturday night and then I flew back Sunday. Cause I was like, I don't know this guy. I don't know, you know how, if I'm going to like him. So, um, that was our, our first date. And then we've been together ever since we were engaged. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to know what, what his reaction was when you told him your backstory. And when did you tell him your backstory? Like on the first date? No, it was before I went up there. I waited cause he kept saying things like, um, yeah, he had been divorced. They didn't have any kids, but he had gone through this divorce and it had been like the year and a half prior. And so he kept talking about divorce, like blah, 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 you know, that whatever ex-wife. And, and I guess he was just trying to like make conversation like, oh yeah, my ex-husband, blah, blah, blah. I never said any of that. I never said anything. <laughs> like he was trying to pull it out of me, you know? And so finally, it was, I think it was like week three of us talking. I finally told him what happened. And he responded like the best way that anybody can respond. And he said, God, Jen, you know, you've, you've lived more lives than a person should at this age, you know, yeah. like, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. Um. So yeah, he didn't, he didn't, um, turn his back on me when I told him that I lived in my parents' garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did he ask you? Like, what were some of your conversations like after that with regard to you being a widow and Claire losing her dad? Like, did you guys have discussions like, okay, this might be awkward. Like, do you have feelings about this? Like, how do you feel? You know, did, did you guys have like some good communication about kind of how to move forward with also having that as part of your story? We did. We had a lot of conversations, but then he is also really, really good at picking up like my vibe, you know, <laughs> like if it's a certain time of year or, you know, <laughs> uh, an anniversary date or something, I, I know I, maybe I'm short with things or I just, I act differently. And he's, he's really good about that. He is also really good about, um, sensitivity to 
things that trigger me, you know, like he's very careful with his words mm-hmm. and he's so good at that. He definitely thinks before he, before he says things, <laughs> he's, wow. he's really good at that. Mm-hmm. So you started your podcast when you were how many years out? Was it, um, it was 2020. So yeah, about nine years. Mm-hmm. So I'm super curious about that because Mel and I started when I was nine months out and Mel was like two-ish years, 18 months to two years out. And I'm curious about your uh, motivation for starting it because we're all widows, but I think yeah. our motivation was probably really different because we were in very, very different places. So tell us about that. So my podcast was supposed to start a little differently than what it did. so I have this amazing incredible group of widows it's my local widow group that my friend put me in touch with almost immediately it was at the funeral she came up she came up to me and she said uh I think you need to talk to my friend Cherie she's got a group she meets with I was like yes please give me her number and I think I called her the next day and they they were meeting at that time like once a month And I didn't know, again, a single person. I called Cherie. She was so gracious and amazing. And she talked to me for like two hours that night. And she said, look, we're having a meeting next Friday. I'm not going to be there, but I'll let them know that you're coming. And I was like, okay. So I go to this lady's house and I walk in and there's probably like, I don't know, 15 widows and all different ages, but a lot of them were young, a lot of them with kids. A lot of them right about my age and we were all going through the same thing. And, uh, oh my gosh, I walked out of that room. I walked out of that meeting and I was just like such relief. I mean, just like the tension in myself just melted and I kept meeting with them and meeting with them. And those, those girls, like I, when I was trying to decide to move to Turks and Caicos, that's who I called. And I I had only known them for like a month. <laughs> I was like, I called one of them. I was like, I think I'm going to move to the island. Should I do it? And anyway, just, you know, they get it, right? They get yeah. it. So um, they, uh, they were my savior. They were my lifeline. I really, really needed that. And I needed to see and talk to those people who were a little bit ahead of me. That's what was so life-changing for me. I was like, okay, she's two years out. She's over there smiling. What does she do to get through this? And so I kept hearing those stories. And of course our group just grew and grew because it just does. Um, And so those were the stories that just kept me going. You know, they kept me going and that was so helpful for me. So I have this handful of these girls and we were getting together for lunch. Um, sometimes we'd get together for dinner and there were two of them that I had just discovered podcasts because I'm late in the game. And I think that was 20, I don't remember the year, 2019, January of 2019, maybe. And I, we went to dinner and I was so excited. And I said, we should start a podcast. We should do a podcast. And they were like, yes, that's such a great idea. And so they have young kids. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and like life got in the way and like months would go by. And then we'd get together again. And I'd be like, 
we should do a podcast. And everybody would get so excited again. And then it wouldn't happen. And then I'm like, well, damn it. I'm just going to do it myself, you know? (laughs) So that's what happened. And then, of course, it was, I I had done some research on it because you guys know there's so much involved in hosting platforms and all of the things. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And then when COVID, no, it wasn't, it was before. Yeah. When COVID happened, it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I have the time I'm at home. I'll go ahead and do it. So that's what I did. I started recording some episodes um, in, I think it was like mm, April, May, but I didn't put anything out until July, you know, I had recorded a few with those same girls that I was trying to get to do the podcast <laughs> with me. They were my guinea pig. They were the first ones. Um, and it's it's been quite a ride since. It's been amazing. I think that COVID birthed a lot of podcasts, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and also like killed some of them. Yeah, that's probably true too. Oh, uh, then when life kind of went back to people being in person it's like been interesting to see who's stopped and who's continued on and you have continued on so is your podcast mostly interviews or is it a mix of you doing your own thing sometimes and then sometimes interviews it is a mix and i didn't start doing any solo episodes for probably the first six months just because i was too chicken to do it (laughs) finally I built up the courage to do it. And I just, when I do my episodes, the solo episodes are short. They're like 15 minutes, maybe, you know, I don't, I don't go on and on by myself. (laughs) I love to do the interviews because I love to meet these amazing women. I do. I just, I love it. It's, it's been so life-changing for me and um, and still healing for me too, because I feel like I learn so much every time. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Sure. What are some of the things that you offer? Because I know, and we're, I think we're in your Facebook group too. Um, what, what do you offer for those who are people like us? Well, I initially was doing um, a holiday group that was kind of the first support group. And then I started doing um, some programs, different programs. There's a finding purpose and meaning after loss program that I do. That's a six week program. I just did one recently in um, just a few months ago, and it was the rediscovery through writing program. Again, a six week program. And it was, uh, it was so fun. I love doing these groups. It's just, it's again, an opportunity to connect with, with widows around the world. Really. It's, it's pretty fun. Um, I did one online course that was a dating course. And then just recently, the big project has been the widow squad community. That's our membership community, which I started with Kim Murray from uh, widow 411. And then uh, Melissa Pierce, who does her filled with gold um, subscription boxes. And I know you guys had them on in prior episodes they are incredible uh we started talking i mean i think i met melissa was probably like episode i don't know 22 or something a long time ago um 
And so I've known them a little while and we just started talking about these plans and ideas for a community. And we all were thinking the same exact thing. And then we're like, why don't we do this together? (laughs) Combined. I don't know how people do it alone. Like you have to do it with other people or you can't do it. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And Melissa is, I think she's what? Oh, same as me, like 11 years out, 10 years out. And then Kim is, I think, eight now. So combined, we have a lot of crazy stories and experiences of crazy widowhood and how we got to where we are. But they are amazing. I love working with them. We each have our, um, our, our, I guess, I don't know, things that we bring to the table. And, uh, and it's been so fun. It's been so fun. So, so Jen, you, Melissa and Kim all have repartnered since then. And here's what I love about all of this, even though it's sucky that everyone's a widow, whatever. I love that you are repartnered and you are still part of the community in helping and giving back. And you're not just like, oh, well now it's over. So once I get remarried or repartnered, then then my journey ends. It's like, you're still showing that it will always be a part of your life. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's negative. Can you speak to that? Like say somebody's listening and they're like, well, I only need to listen to this widow stuff until like I find another person and then I'm done. Like, what do you have to say to that? I say that I, I always, I'm always going to be a widow, you know, no matter what I'm, I'm always, that's, that's a part of my story. And like you said, I have learned so much on this journey and everybody's journey is unique, but I have learned so much. And I, I really feel like I know that, that the thing that was the most helpful for me was to hear those widow success stories. That's what I always say. And so I, Yes, I consider myself a widow success story. Um, not because I'm remarried, but because I've I've done the work. Like I've I've gone through the grief work. I did a lot of that for years on my own and had to figure out things that looking back, things that I did along the way that were um so pivotal for me and it was things like um, mindfulness, just being in the moment because thinking about the past was hurtful. And then thinking about the future was terrifying for me. And I, again, I felt like I couldn't think about a future until that trial happened. So I was kind of sandwiched into the moment and I really lived it. I really lived it. And it was one of the things that got me through also journaling. Um, I was pretty isolated. Again, I didn't, couldn't get on Facebook. I couldn't show all of what was really happening with me. So I had to find another outlet for that. I found journaling was again, like one of my savior things to go to. Um, and also exercising, just walking, just being outside, being in the sun, being in nature, those things. Um, I did a lot of yoga, 
I did a lot of meditation, just kind of reconnecting with myself. And so now I feel like I can look back and take some of those lessons and, and help others. Oh man, Jen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's, it's like you said, you've walked the walk. And so I think that you're a good, a good shepherd for the people to follow because it's not like, it's not like you're, you're a poser, right? You're like, no, I've done, I've been in the, I've been in the trenches guys. I've been in the trenches. Um, We have a really important question that we'd like to ask you as we finish up. Mm -hmm. And are you ready? Yes. It's really hard. I am ready. It's probably not as hard as waiting for a (laughs) four-year trial to end. close. Maybe close. What is your favorite cheese? (gasps) (laughs) See? It's hard. (laughs) You're putting me on the spot, but I have an answer already. Colby Jack. Okay. It's a classic. All right. We'll accept (laughs) your answer. It is. I feel like it is. It's like a old, good, trusty cheese. It uh-huh. is. It's reliable. Old, reliable, the cheese. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you guys have found this episode helpful. And we hope that you'll also check out Jen's podcast and her Facebook group and some of the courses that she's doing. And also the Widow Squad, which is a cool name, by the way. If you want to keep our podcast going, go to patreon.com slash WWDN. If you'd like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And if you don't want to do those things, just give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Jen's going to do that right now because we kind of made her. It's going to be fine. <laughs> but also we're going to do it to hers because we're not yes. jerks. Yes. <laughs> Until we get to talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Jen. We are just two young widows and one widow who's walked the walk and is now the widow shepherdess. And we are all trying to figure out widow. We do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.